Turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Again, we're starting the new series as we look at Paul who's writing to the Thessalonians and he's telling them about Christ. He's telling them about the great name that we find in Jesus Christ and he's explaining to them how they're, um, they've heard the gospel. They were pagan idolaters. Uh, they were worshiping other gods. And so now they get this, um, call that Christ is the only way. And so they respond. And so their reputation has now exploded, uh, throughout the land so much so that Paul cannot, um, go anywhere that he hasn't already been talked about. Um, that he, they haven't already heard the story of how these people who were idolaters have now turned to Jesus Christ and are putting themselves in places of even danger. And so this is spread throughout the countryside, but it's also an opportunity where Paul then, as he's been removed from Thessalonica now, um, because of the people have come in and they said, hey, these people who were turning the world upside down, they're causing a ruckus, there's a rabble, and so we need to get them out of here. And so they uh, have kicked Paul and, and Timothy out. And so, uh, and Silas, and so they've been removed. And so what's happened is the false people have come in and they started to say, hey, look, Paul picked up and ran. He doesn't love you. He didn't care about you. Um, he doesn't want to be here to minister to you. And so everything that he said to you was false. Just go back to the way that you were living. Just stop being uh, these people who turn the world upside down. And so Paul um, sends a letter back with Timothy to respond to these concerns. So he's turning from the outside to the inside perspective. And so that's where we're going to find ourselves this morning. First Thessalonians uh, chapter two, and I'm going to read through verse is one through eight this morning. Follow along for you yourselves know brothers that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, so we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. And God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were all, all ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our lives, because you have become very dear to us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we come to this passage and we ask that you would give us eyes to see and hearts to understand. Lord, we ask that you would, again, allow this to make deep roots, that we would understand what it is that you're about to teach us that we are to be bold that we are to be people of integrity and we are to be gentle as we spread the gospel around the world so lord again change us to look more like our savior jesus christ enable us to do the ministry that you've called us to do to preach the gospel to heal the sick and to set captives free for this we pray in christ's name amen so as we begin to look at this passage and as we uh, look forward to installing Stan, uh, it's not by chance that God has a, a passage on leadership applied to a leader this morning. And so what we need is we need to have big leaders. And what do I mean by that? That's our three points. And what you'll see is you'll see it kind of uh, brought through in the as we unpack the passage. So the first thing we need to be is we need to be bold as leaders. 
We need to be very bold in what we are and who we are and what we proclaim. Second, we need to be people of integrity. We need to be people of integrity. And then we need to be gentle in regards to our leadership. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at that we're supposed to be bold. And so what happens is, again, uh, Paul has been going out. He has now been removed. And so he's coming back and he's telling the people, ministry is not in vain. Now, as we begin to unpack this, I want you to see that there are couplets. Okay, what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, Paul starts by a negative statement followed by a positive statement. So in verse 1 is the negative statement. Verse 2, the positive. Negative 3, positive 4. Negative 5, positive 6. So these couplets are meant in such a way to expand what Paul is trying to do. So he's giving it to them in a way that they might understand and remember. And so he's saying, hey, there's the opportunity where there is a ministry wall. Now, what do I mean by that? If you've ever talked to somebody or have been in a place where you have hit a physical wall in regards to exercising... Now, specifically, hitting a wall is uh, a term for those who find themselves in marathon runs. Okay, and you get to the place where, again, you have so expended uh, the sugars in your body that there is a significant, you stop, you have to stop. It is the wall. Now, again, the reality is that you can talk about hitting the wall in many different things, whether you lift weights, whether you uh, do many different things. And so uh, you have people, though, they're, they're encouraging you, though, a lot of times. And again, I'm going to get loud here, so don't freak out. Okay, and I'm trying to wake some of those students up from this weekend that uh, slept in the church or didn't sleep in the church. Okay, but I'm going to get loud. I'm not yelling at anybody. But when you have someone there's working out, um, there's always someone saying, come on. One more, you can do it. Come on, one more. One more rep. Come on, push, 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 push. The reality is that we don't do that with each other in ministry, though, do we? Come on, one more Bible study. Come on, one more prayer time. Come on, you can do it. Come on, be encouraged. Push through it. Come on, you need to go out and do one more thing. We don't do that to each other. Why don't we? Because the reality is ministry is hard. Ministry can become overwhelming. You deal with people and people are hard. People come with different expectations. People come with different views. And so he comes to the place where again, Paul could have very easily said, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not dealing with this. But what Paul does is he brings encouragement. He says, I want you to understand that the ministry that was accomplished among you was not in vain. It was accomplished to a purpose. Now, again, there's always a temptation to kind of define what success in ministry is. Most people go to what's known as the three B's. Do you have enough bodies? Do you have enough buildings? And is your, is your budget big enough? And that's how they define success. If you have lots of people, if you have many buildings, if you have a big budget, well, then you've arrived. And Paul's coming in and says success is something very different. Success is that when uh, the gospel goes out and it becomes productive, and it's the word that continues to go out. So Paul was saying it's, it's going out and it's accomplishing its purposes. But it was coming in the midst of conflict and suffering. Now, again, I want you to understand where Paul is. And he's in essence kind of saying in this passage, you know me, you know who I am. 
And this is where he's come. He's telling him, I've just come from Philippi. And again, for those who read a little bit earlier in the Acts passage when we talked about last week, he's come to Philippi where he was wrongly stripped. He was beaten and imprisoned. So the reality is, as the commentators talked about this, he probably still has the effects of being bitten. There's beaten. There's probably still dried blood upon his back as he removes himself from Philippi and comes to Thessalonica. And he knows that what he's doing at Thessalonica, he's coming in the midst of conflict. He knows that he's bringing the gospel to people who are pagan idolaters. He's coming to turn the world upside down in in a real way. And so he knows he's coming in the midst of that. And so as leaders in any part of God's church, we have to recognize that, again, ministry is not done in vain. God accomplishes his purposes. But a lot of times God puts us in places where it's not always fun, where it's not always easy. We know here in, in the state of Florida that, again, it's good sometimes to have the cold freezes for the oranges, right? Because it makes them taste sweeter. When you grow rhubarb, and I know this is not a rhubarb crowd, when you grow rhubarb, what do they do? They place it into darkness. Why? Because the plant itself reaches for light. It's in the midst of conflict and struggles that a lot of times God places us. Why? So that we cry out to him. So the richness of who he is floods within us so that we look more like him, not he like us. And so it's in the midst of this that Paul says, I know I came into conflict and suffering, but I came and I came to speak boldly in Christ. Now, that's a huge deal, and it's a bigger deal than probably we make to be united with Christ. Because what does that mean? Why are we so bold to preach the gospel? Because what happens is when we are Christians, okay, and those who are in Christ are called Christians, we're united to him. We're united to him in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. We're united to him. And so that means that we have an intimate and a close relationship with Jesus. And so what we do is we have to define ourselves in the midst of Jesus, not the struggle. Do you get the the difference, the subtlety there? When we go through hard times and struggles in life, do we define ourselves the way that Christ sees us? Or do we define ourselves in regard to the struggles that we encounter? So if you define yourself by the struggles that you encounter, you're going to become very depressed. You're going to become very overwhelmed. When we define ourselves by Christ, we become bold. Because again, we might deal with hard things here on earth, but we look forward to the day we're always looking to Christ. We're always looking to the truth of the gospel. We're always looking to, when, when the, the friends brought the man on the, the mat and they dug through the roof and they put him down in front of Jesus, what were they looking for? Jesus to heal him. But the greatest thing Jesus did for that man was to say, hey, your sins are forgiven. That's the greatest thing that he received today. Now, Jesus said, hey, just so you know that I am the Christ, I am the Messiah, get up and walk. But the greatest thing he had was the gospel. He received forgiveness for his sins. That's the greatest thing that we come. So no matter how bad things get here on earth, we look forward to the day when we're going to be with Jesus. No more pain, no more suffering, no more heartache. That's what we look forward to. And so Paul is boldly preaching the gospel and he's telling him, here is the truth. You've been living this lie all of your life. You've been going after idols. You've been trying to to satisfy the longing in your heart. And I'm telling you, it doesn't work. You can't fix yourself with man-made things. 
So here's the gospel that's set before you. And it's found only in Jesus Christ. Where he comes and he humbles himself and he lives a perfect life that you and I can't live. To give to us a righteousness that we can't earn. And so Jesus comes and he says, I have given my life for you so that you might now give your life for others. And so Paul comes boldly to them and he says, hey, my ministry with you was not in vain. It accomplished its purpose. And you have now so spread the gospel that I can't go anywhere without people knowing and understanding who Jesus is in your relationship to him. So be encouraged, church. Be encouraged, leaders. Be bold because you are in Christ. So that's the first thing, be bold in regards to leadership. The second thing that Paul talks about is integrity. So verses 3 through 4, For our appeal does not spring from error and purity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So again, he's saying, hey, here's what's being said out there. People said, I came to deceive you. And again, there are itinerant preachers who are going around, who are going to look uh, from city to city, place to place. And they were looking for money. They were looking for converts. And so Paul's saying, hey, you know me. I didn't come to deceive you. You know that about me. Now, the reality is there's always temptations for us, is there not? It's part of the reason why, part of the reason um, I'm a, a Presbyterian and specifically the PCA, is um, I have a, a Baptist uncle who thinks that what we do here and what we make our preachers go through is absolutely horrible. He's like, why would you have to go through seminary? Why would you have to do all this time? Why would you take all these tests and stuff like that? He's just like, Jeff, if you're called, come to my church. I'll ordain you one Sunday. And I was looking and I said, Uncle Neil, <laughs> I said, I appreciate that. But I said, one of the things that I like is that it, we, there's an accountability where there's an approval process. I said, I like to be held accountable because if I'm not held accountable, then left unto myself, there's the temptation to think that everything that I do is right. Everything that I do in my life. See, it's easy to have a public life that doesn't match up to your private life. It matters the people that stand in the pulpit that preach to you. Character matters. Character matters. And so Paul was saying, hey, there was a temptation to do all these kind of things, but I want you to understand I wasn't a charlatan because the greatest likeness I have is not to the world. The greatest likeness that I bring is to make you look like Jesus. So I'm not sitting here and beginning to, to deceive you because, again, here's the reality. In the midst of temptation, if I start dealing with sin, then what happens? It begins to affect my preaching. It begins to affect my teaching. It begins to affect my discipline. I want to be very careful here. Um, when my father left our family, um, my dad was very moral. He wasn't a Christian, I don't believe. But he was very moral. And so I grew up to be very moral and to take care of women and to respect my mom and stuff like that. Right until the time that he had an affair. Then things began to switch very quickly. And he's a lot more forgiving, a lot more open to things that I would want to do as a teenager. Why? Because... If he would have convicted me, he'd be convicting himself, right? So if I find myself in a place where I'm uh, into sin and not being held accountable, not having the elders speaking to my life, not having people who ask me the hard questions, then again, it becomes very easy for me to have a public life and a private life that don't match. But all of a sudden, my private life begins to affect my public life. And pretty soon, we're all, can't we all just get along? 
See, integrity matters. And so what happens is Paul says, even though these temptations are out there, I want to know, I want you to know that my motives were pure. My motives of bringing the gospel to you were pure. I have a simple heart and a pure mind. The word of God, that's why I'm always telling you to read through the scripture. Why? To beat you over the head with it? No, because the word of God constrains us. It constrains our actions. It constrains where our mind goes. It it constrains everything about us. And again, it's the opportunity to go back. If you quit, start again. Read through the passages and again, read through the whole Bible. Why? Because I'm overbearing pastor? No, because if you get caught in the passage that you only like, that's the only part of your your faith that's going to be changed. Read it all. Take time. Be encouraged. Go deep. And again, I can tell you, even if you're older and you've read through the Bible 60, 100 times, there's always something new. Because the Spirit moves and He draws us back to Christ and He gives us a bigger picture of who Christ is and who God is. And so we have to be people who allow us to come to the Word and be, make sure our motives are pure. And here's the reality. Um, if you've been messed up or you're scarred, if you've had big sins in your past, listen, God uses scarred people. Some of the best people have been people who've gone through hard struggles in life. But it makes us compassionate. It makes us to go and understand what mercy and grace and justice are. And so be people who are approved. And that's what happens is God says, I come to approve your hearts. That comes from James chapter 3 verse 1 where he comes in and tests his hearts. This is what it says. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So here's the reality. As he tests our heart, there's greater responsibility. There also comes greater expectations by God. And so he gives us the warning. And the warning is, is we need to watch our hearts. Because the reality is, are we pleasing God or are we pleasing man? See, the reality is, is God has got to be our master. We are to be the slaves. God's the master. So we faithfully proclaim the word. And it's to please God, not man. And listen to this. It's not the church. It's not seminaries. It's only God who makes spiritual leaders. It's God who does it. And so the reality is, is that we can have no softening of the merit of the message. We can't sit there and have things go or, or feel rejection. We have to please God. That's the sole purpose. Am I hired by the church? Yes. Does a session have oversight? Yes. But who am I held accountable to? God. Most of you, I I bet, sleep very well on Saturday night. I don't. I don't. Because I'm scared. I am literally scared to come and preach the word of God to you. Because I know I'm held accountable. And again, you hear it for an hour. Listen, I'm getting 20 plus hours a week of hearing this and being confronted by this. That's overwhelming sometimes. How many times do I have to go back to my family? Forgive me. They love it, especially the passages where it tells me how bad I am. Because I'm always having to go back. Sorry. Forgive me. But I'm held accountable for what the word does for me and how I speak to you. So I have to be a man of integrity. Not because I'm good. But because I'm in Christ and I'm held accountable to that standard. So I have to be bold. We have to be bold. We have to be people of integrity. And the third thing is we have to be gentle. Now that seems a little odd, at least in my perspective. See, what he says in the negative thing, he says, I didn't come demanding. 
I didn't come seeking power and influence. See, Paul didn't come to be a people pleaser. He didn't come with insincere flattery or greed. Because again, the itinerant uh, people would go through. And it, it's, there's a reason why the people have said, you came, and, and in the beginning of, this, of the part of the book, it says, and there were um, many single women who turned to Christ. Now again, the itinerant pe- uh, people would go through and they would formulate and take the women and do make them into temple ill-begots, trying to keep a G. And so they would have relations with these women from town to town to town, and they would go through. And Paul comes in and goes, I've done none of that. I didn't come asking for money. I didn't come to destroy your women. I only came to bring the gospel message. So I didn't come to look for power or influence. I didn't soften the message. I didn't, I didn't care if you were to reject me. Because listen, I'm not looking for my glory. I'm looking for God's glory. So that's the reality of what he is. He's not in for personal glory or accolades. And he tells you very clearly, because he is an apostle of Christ, he could have demanded things. He could have asked to be served to come in and have the people take care of him. And again, we live in a culture where it, it's not such a big deal for, for me to be a servant of you. That's what we expect with Christianity. But when I go to Nigeria, and you can talk to, to Roland, you can talk to, to Hugh as we've gone to Nigeria, we're treated like royalty. We were put up in hotels, listen, that, and this is a big deal over there, that had power 24 hours a day. We had a bed, we had rooms that were clean. Every time we got up to move something, someone grabbed our bag and put it and took it. We weren't allowed to carry anything. We had armed guards 24-7 at our hotel. We saw the president, I I don't know which one it was, but we saw the president drive down the street near where we were. And it was like we had almost as many guards as he did. We're treated with royalty. And there's sometimes there's expectations of like, if you're the pastor, if you're someone that is up there, if you're someone who's going to do that, then you've earned this great thing. And Paul said, hey, we, we could have done that. I could have come and said, hey, I'm an apostle of Christ. You come and serve me. And he said, no. That's the difference. That's how we're turning the world upside down. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. So again, it's this understanding where, again, people don't need to see me. They need to see Jesus. And if I'm not doing that, if Stan's not doing that, if the elders aren't doing that, if we're not showing you Jesus, then we're not upholding our our calling. So you need to hold us accountable to that. And so we, we come not for our own glory, but we come, listen, this is how he says it. And this is, this is the second favorite passage of mine in the Bible. But he says, we come and we gave to you not only the gospel, but we gave to you our very lives. That's what church is. It's, it's where we begin to live and serve one another. It's, it's life on life. It's getting to know one another in a deep passion, not surfacy. That's easy. The, the world does surface. Who do you allow to speak hard things into your life? Who do you speak hard things to? Who do you encourage? Who do you love so intimately that you're saying, I, I don't care what your house looks like. I'm coming over anyways. I don't care that you're overwhelmed. I'm coming over anyways. I know you're struggling. I'm going to be there anyways. Who are you doing that for? See, it's life on life. It's knowing one another. And again, it's not to be served, but to serve one another. Are you willing? To, and again, I use this 
example last week. I mean, last Saturday, I found myself literally with my head in a toilet. Who are you willing to do that for? And not shame them, but because you love them. I'm willing to serve in whatever way needs to happen. Why? Because you've become so dear to us. You've become so dear to us, so I'm, so I'm gentle, like a mother with her children. Again, it doesn't mean that we don't hold each other accountable. It doesn't mean that we don't say hard things. It's how we say it. It's what we do to encourage in the midst of it. See, we have to do it in such a way that we're gentle. And it's not just the gospel. It's, again, we can beat each other up with the gospel. Hey, Chris, your weekend, you guys didn't really clean up the way you were supposed to. Hey, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. Good job, Chris. Now, you might think, hey, Chris needed to do a better job. But how do you do it? Say, hey, Chris, can I help? I want to be the one that comes after you've just spent 24 hours with the teenagers. Can I be the one to come clean up after you and you go home to your family and you get some rest? Hmm. I don't do this, Chris, because I like the church to be clean. I'm doing this, Chris, because I love you and I love the ministry you're doing for the kids. Difference. Because you've become so dear to us that we share what? Our very lives because I love you the way that Christ loves you. So is that what the leadership of this church does? Is that how you are a leader in whatever venue God has placed you? Are you someone who's bold? Are you someone whose integrity is such that it's not compromised? And are you gentle as you love people? And if you're not, then be very careful because God judges your heart. So be very careful when you take on places of leadership. Make sure you're being like Paul, bold, integrity, and gentle. Now, that being said, we're going to move to a part of our service that's unique in some ways to the Presbyterian Church where we're going to install Stan as a ruling elder. So with that, um, Stan, do you still want to be an elder? Um, So we'll be moving. Um, Let me pray as we uh, begin to set Stan apart. Heavenly Father, again, high standards. But Lord, what an incredible example we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that you have not only told us about mercy and grace, but you showed us by giving your own son who humbled himself, became a man, lived a life, tempted, tempt, uh, tempted in all the ways we're tempted, but never sinned. But not only that, Lord, he went to the cross and he took our sin upon him. He endured hell on our behalf. And when he was resurrected, he gave to us something we could never earn, his righteousness. So that united with Christ, we now can be truly people who are bold to preach the gospel. We can be men and women of integrity. But Lord, I pray that we are always gentle with the people that you have put into our charge because they have become so dear to us and we love them the way that Christ loves them. Lord, thank you for Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.